serious responsibility. Show the man your power, big. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Showtime! Don't you smile, blow me kiss for this one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Thank you, and thank you for coming out today. And uh, this show will be a future Aerial View podcast at WFMU.org, so look for it there, hopefully on Tuesday. Um, not, I don't know how many of you folks know that uh, Kaz and I used to work together. I would drive the van, and he would lure the children inside. And it was a very fruitful collaboration. No, we did a show called The Nightmare Lounge. I first met Kaz 30 years ago. In 1986, I walked into a party in Hoboken, and he was there recording... Um, little promo announcements for WFMU. And I had never heard of WFMU. It was literally the first night I lived in New Jersey. And so I started contributing to what he was doing and we were coming up with ideas on the spot and it was going fairly well. And then at some point he said to me, hey, I wanna go back 
on the air and do another slot at WFMU, but I'd like you to join me, so come and be on the air with me. And we, I think for three years, did a, a show called The Nightmare Lounge. Yeah, and I did not ask permission. You did not ask permission to have me on the air, and that would have been like and that was bad. Yeah. 87 through whenever. Uh, so this is the guy that started my radio career, and the first thing I'd like to do is thank Kaz for that. Thank you, Kaz. Or blame me. Or blame you. But yeah. I want to go back to that year, 1986, and ask what was going on with you in that year in terms of becoming a cartoonist? How, how far on the road to what we now know as Kaz were you? <laughs> when I met you, you mean? Like yes. in 86? Yes. Okay, well, I was, um, I, I was uh, at an art school, and I was, uh, I was trying to make a living uh, drawing comics and uh, doing illustration work. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about the school that you went to and some of the folks that... Uh, yeah, well, I went to learn uh, from, yeah. including well, Art Spiegelman. I went to SVA and uh, for uh, two and a half years, I never graduated. Uh, decided just to pay for uh, the um, the studio classes, uh, but I had I had great instruct. Now SVA used to be called the the School of uh, Cartoonists and Illustrators before they changed it to School of Visual Arts, and so I decided that I wanted to study cartooning. Because uh, as a teenager, I tried to draw my own comic strip, and I wanted to be a newspaper cartoonist, and sent out all these comics with this character called Mr. Roach. And uh, you know, I, I tried to do like a, on a Wait, daily was, basis. Was he a roach or was he like a bug? I mean, <laughs> no, Mr. he was Ro- a bug. Yeah. It wasn't underground quite yet. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it was, and it was pretty bad. It was pretty lame. But I sent it to all the uh, syndicates, and I got all like I just got rejections and you know letters saying we will never have a cockroach as a daily. <laughs> Wasn't until the eighties. Actually, did have a was a La Cucaracha was a was a character. <laughs> they um, stole your idea. Yeah, yeah, they stole my idea. Uh, then I decided. Well, I was working in a factory at the time, and then I decided I was going to go to art school. So SVA Wait a minute, was great. I think you got to tell the air conditioner factory story at this at this point because I've heard this story. But well, I was you know I was like you know I was living in the attic of my parents' house, and but I had bought a very professional uh, drawing table, and I was buying all the right equipment, and so I was. I was, ho- I was hoping to be a teenage cartoonist, like a successful teenage cartoonist, right? You know, as, as big as Peanuts and whatever. Uh, but I was working in a factory. That was the only way to make money. And so I was working in a Emerson Quiet Cool was the name of the factory. And uh, so my job on a, was on assembly line, putting like two screws into a, a air conditioner as they came down the line. And that was basically my life, you know, for like months and months and months. Uh, until one day, for some reason, I, unbeknownst to me, I, it was sort of like the end of Looney Tunes where the iris closes, and all of a sudden, everything started getting dark, 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 and closed up. And I had passed out on the assembly line. And they have, I worked with a, it's called an air-powered screw gun. So it's a screw gun that has a little hose that's connected to a pipe. So when you press down on it, you know, the, the it, screw it uses spins. compressed air to drive the thing in. Yeah. Well, that was in my lap. Well, I was laying there, and it's going because it was stuck on, and uh, all the women that I worked with, which was you know a lot of, um, I guess Puerto Rican, Dominican women, Mexican, whatever, they already assumed I was a drug addict because I would always work on a on a line with like sunglasses, and sometimes I was a little stoned, okay, but so instead of helping me, they all like ran away from me, you know, and it took like a foreman to jump over the line to shut the thing off, and I woke up in an ambulance. And uh, that's when I decided I'm going to art school because I don't know, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, um, this would have been in, in Rahway or thereabouts, right? Because yeah. you, you the were factory born... was in Edison or somewhere, one of the industrial First of all, it's places. impressive that they were once making air conditioners in the United States. That's number one. Yeah. Number two, all I kept yeah. thinking of when I first heard that story was Piss Factory by Patti Smith. I mean, that's the first thing that came to Yeah, mind. there's a lot of parallels, yeah. you know. I mean, my whole family, you know, uh, factory warehouse workers. Right, you know? yeah. But uh, so you were born in Hoboken, uh, not far from here, and then what, at the age of nine or so, your parents decided to... to buy a house. To, to buy a house. To buy a house. To buy a house in the suburbs, yeah, yeah, because we were living in a cold water flat in Hoboken. Now, you've described Hoboken, uh, growing up in Hoboken, as kind of like dead-end kids, and then when you got the raw way, it was more like little rascals time. So what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, it was amazing to me. Uh, there was a, a neighbor who had a really big backyard with swings. I assumed it was a public park. <laughs> You know, so we would go play, and they would chase us out all the time. So you, uh, I love when I, I loved it. I thought it was in when I lived in Hoboken. You know, you're a little kid. You know, the rule is you don't leave your block. You go around the block, 
but you aren't allowed to cross the street or do anything because there's all kinds of crazy stuff that can happen to you. You and know. by the way, the Hoboken that you grew up in is not the Hoboken we know today, folks. I just want to point that out. It, no, was, a not far, it was a very blue-collar town. There were still dock workers and docks. It's sort of like how and the Lower East Side was for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, now you're in school and you're learning how to draw. But at the time, who were some of your favorite newspaper cartoonists? Because I, that's also an age that seems to have passed, the age of the great newspaper cartoons. So who yeah. were the folks? I was, who were, I was uh, Chester Gould who did Dick, Dick Tracy. I loved how, how grotesque that stuff was, yeah, and how violent it was. And Peanuts was a big, big influence on me. And uh, Nancy, Ernie Bushmiller's Nancy. Nancy, a uh, big one for you. Yeah, it had a big resurgence. You know, when I was in art school, uh, uh, there was a group of us cartoonists, and there was a teacher named Jerry Moriarty, who uh, was actually collecting original Nancys, and he would have like hundreds and hundreds of them. And so he uh, he would turn us on to that. And then uh, you know, for me. What I loved about it was it was a very clear, corny humor strip for kids. And also very graphic. I mean, right? I mean, I, I don't mean like violence, but very, it, it's, it's, you yeah. can read Nancy from across the room, pretty much. Yeah, I think, I, I think the quote was, uh, before you decided not to read it, you've already read it. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, let, let me ask about Smokey Stover for a minute, too. Oh, yeah. A, yeah, talk, yeah talk. Smokey Stover, that was a comic strip um, by Bill Holtzman. And uh, it was just, just pure wackiness. You know, yeah. there was all kinds of uh, little uh, puns throughout the comic strip, a lot of visual jokes. Um, and he, he, I think a while, for a while he did a daily, but then he only, could only really do a Sunday because he packed it with so much fun stuff to look yeah. at. Um, Crazy Cat as well. I'm just thinking of some of the progenitors, some of the people. Well, Crazy Cat was Crazy Cat was long over. Uh, I mm. mean, I you know, I mean, I discovered it in book form, yeah. you know, as, as a hardcover book, and I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I, I knew that it was beautiful. I couldn't understand what the characters were doing and, and saying half the time. It seemed like poetry to me. You know, I mean, there was something coming, and that's why I actually keep going back to that. And I, I find whenever I'm home and I have a flu or I'm sick. I always read from my Crazy Cat books because I, I feel like I'm in that state of mind that I could sort of now kind of get what Harriman was saying, you know. As someone who has been to, to Cat's house in Hoboken uh, and in Hollywood, <laughs> both places, I can attest to the fact that you have more books on cartooning than I think anybody I've ever oh, seen. Oh, not so, anybody. I'm sure uh, there's not, other yeah, I'm sure, yeah. There might I have to keep switching them out. <laughs> but, but my point is you've become a student of it as well as, I mean, like learning how to do it, but also learning who these people were who did it and why they did it. I am, I am always amazed. Uh, there's, there's a publisher that, that puts out these really big, giant collections of turn-of-the-century comics that would have been like full Sunday pages. And... Um, Every panel is packed with some little joke, and I, I'm literally—I mean, it's, books, are, books are literally huge. And I put them down on the floor, and I'm looking at them. I, I pull out a magnifying glass. I, I can't believe how much they pack into it, and how funny they are. Uh, in addition to the to the newspaper cartoons, were you also going out and buying Zap Comics and other underground cartoons? No, I was. Books, well, no, when I was younger, I was, I, I, I was buying. You know, I was buying uh, superhero comics, and uh, I would always start with Spider-Man. And then I would make my way to Batman, and then because they sold them in in a candy store, like on a, on a rack, and uh, you know they were monthlies. Mm-hmm. You would go home, you would read that comic book. It was over in ten minutes, right? Less than ten minutes, and you're like, "Damn, I want another one," you know. So you keep going back, keep going back, and then you start you work your way down the line. Like, okay, now I'll read the Western comics, or I'll read like the World War Twos, which I like. But then like World War Two wasn't enough. It had to be like the Haunted Tank. Or it had to be like zombie stories of World War Two, and but so at what point are you thinking like what, how am I going to express my identity and what I want to do? Did you know when you got out of school like the, 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 was there some thought in your mind like high to, school? You mean uh, well when you got out of uh, SVA, were you thinking of like well what's my identity going to be as a oh no by, by the time I, I went do? to yeah by the time I went to school of visual arts, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be as ridiculous as it sounded a uh, like an arty cartoonist, you know, but there was no market for it. There's, there was Raw Magazine, which uh, Art Spiegelman started while I was taking his class, so that's how I wound up in the first issue. What do you uh, consider an arty cartoonist, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is that? Um, you know, somebody, I mean, for me, I would approach the page as a, as a beautiful design and then think about how the story works with that design, you know, uh, so there's, there's no editors, nobody telling you what to do. Uh, it doesn't have to be a funny punchline. Yeah. It could be poignant. You know, for me, it was always like, uh, I like the bittersweet endings. 
Right, but isn't there a, a some tension between that idea and the thought of like I'm going to make my living doing yeah. a cartoon? Yeah, so I couldn't make a living doing it. Are you thinking I'll do an art cartoon and then I'll do this other work, you know, for pay or what? Well, no, that's that's point. that's what it turned out being. It yeah. was I was doing my fun arty stuff and I was doing illustration work yeah. uh, to make a living and but barely so, make a living. Were you eating ramen for many years? What was uh, it? Pizza. What was it like? Yeah. Pizza. You know, like in, in Hoboken, I moved back to Hoboken after art school. Uh, there would be pizza places that would have like little coupons on the box. And if you save 10 of them, you get a free pie. And I would just go into, you know, not everybody saved them. So I would just go into the people's garbages and cut out the thing. So I lived on pizza for a long time. You, you were stealing. And spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, you were taking the uh, abandoned pizza boxes. Yeah. So you could eat. Yeah, the guy kept, kept where are you getting these from? You know? Yeah. I'm like, no, they're legitimate. Um, I want to ask about, let's go back to WFMU for a minute. Because I know you when we started working together, you had very strong tastes in music. A lot of it was punk rock, uh, you know. And weird stuff. I just like weird. You, I like weird music. Weird. I like I like aggressive punk rock, and I like yeah. crazy because you know when I was a st- when I was still going to high school, seventeen years old. You know, I discovered CBGBs. Yeah. And so I so I would go all the time. I would you know sometimes I would steal my dad's car while he fell asleep, and and drive it through the Holland Tunnel, and go to the Bowery and go see the bands. Well, one time I ran out of gas, had to push it back, push it back where he parked it. So he, like, in the morning, turns the key, and he's like, I thought I put gas in this thing. Two of Kaz's brothers are here. Did you also steal your father's car? (laughs) We helped Kaz. I I stole my mom's car in my (laughs) Good to know. I used to do the same thing, by the way. Uh, can I see a show of hands? Anybody else who took their parents' car without their permission? Does anybody? Raise your hand. Um... (laughs) I see some hands out there. Uh, so, is it true you're in a Ramones uh, video, or a uh, there's yeah. a picture of you watching the Ramones circa yeah. 19 whatever? 1977. 77. You can go on YouTube, and you put in July of 77 Ramones live at CBGBs, and you'll see this kid who everybody tells me looks like a girl, but I had really long blonde hair and bangs, so I was very I was I was like a blonde Ramon. You know, cut off sleeves, and you see me jumping up and down and fist pumping, and it's very embarrassing, but it's funny. And were you able to get other people to go with you? Were you always like sort of like, yeah, let's go yeah. see the room? Every now and every now and then, I would yeah. get some pals to go with me. Yeah, you know, but most people at the time, it wasn't very a very popular thing. Yeah, you know, everybody liked the bands that they liked in New Jersey, and so it was really tough to get people to go see. You know, I kept hearing they don't know how to play their instruments. That's all I kept hearing, and I kept going. They want to sound like that. And they're like, what's wrong with them that they want to sound like that? You know? that but perfect. I found the scene very funny. See, for me, the Ramones were like a comedy act. You know, yeah. the Dead Boys, all these groups, they like were very, cartoon. very funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, Patti Smith, and very poetic, but still very exaggerated. Yeah. You know? And when, it's true, when I started drawing comics, like the, the, the art school stuff, I was trying to imbue all that stuff that I got you know, from the energy of that particular scene, you know? Uh, I have to say, you know, I, I, reading the book, Underworld from Hoboken to Hollywood, Fanographics, um, I was struck by just how funny this stuff is. I mean, I had read... Well, good. The, it's meant to be funny. I mean, it's meant to be funny, obviously, but I, I had read the original books when they came out and then put them on a shelf. But going back to them, I think I laughed harder than I did the first time. I mean, well, how, nice. how did you develop the, the capability to figure out how to translate what you thought was funny into, you know, four panels. Well, I don't know. That sounds like magic to me. I don't, uh, it, it sounds uh, like <laughs> alchemy, if you will. <laughs> well, what happened was there were a lot of um, alternative papers, like in, in the 80s, that was a big thing. And so, and a lot of them ran cartoons. And the one in New York City was called the New York Press. And it had some of the best cartoonists, the guys from Raw Magazine. Yeah. You know, there was a Mark Byer. There was millionaire. Charles Burns. But Tony came after me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all these guys are fantastic. Mark Newgarden was being published there, too. Uh, and so, uh, but one thing I noticed was that although some of them were humor strips, there were humor strips in a sort of a kind of like uh, intellectual kind of way. Yeah. And so when I sat down to do a comic strip, I said, I just want to do something that's balls out funny. Just you know, like no if ends or buts. It's just you're going to get to it. It's a punchline. Whether you find it funny or not, that's you know up to you. Your sense. It was my sense of humor. Yeah. You know. And I wanted to do. I remember really clearly thinking about um, 
I love, and I still to this day love, the Honeymooners. And so I wanted a comic strip that sort of was like the Honeymooners with two criminals, right? Instead of uh, a husband and a wife, we got a, a talking rat, and we got a big dude criminal. You know? And they're idiots, you know? so they're, they're low-rent criminals. And so the, the, the humor comes out of the fact that they're, that they're, they're horrible, they're murderers, they're, you know, they're drug pushers, they're drug addicts. But you know, they're hustling say they're, for a living. But their hearts are in the right place. But I'm not even sure if that's true. So I think they are. I think you know. Well, the thing is, like, um, I, I I didn't want to make it a depressing strip. I wanted to make it funny. So one way you know to do that is just to juxtapose what you're seeing and what the attitude is that they're having. You yeah. know, like for instance, I got a creep rat a comic where uh, you, you see him coming out of an alley after he's obviously murdered somebody and thrown somebody in the river and everything, and he's saying uh, stuff like you know you know. You know, tough work, horrible work, bad work. I'm lucky that I'm working is the punchline, you know? <laughs> I, I always wondered, too, because I, folks uh, who don't know Kaz is Lithuanian. Um, I think Bob Dylan is Lithuanian, too, by the way. Believe it or not. Uh, uh, the Three Stooges were Lithuanian. Three Stooges. There's a lot of Lithuanian, Lithuanian Jews uh, yeah. who happen to be funny. And I wonder if it has something to do with Lithuania. I mean, if it's, if it's well, an maybe. Eastern European dark humor, sort of black humor type of... Well, I think there's something to what you're saying. Mm. Uh, I mean, where I grew up in Hoboken, there, uh, you know, with my brothers here, uh, there weren't that many uh, Lithuanians uh, on our block. There was only my grandmother in the same building. So I, we really felt... I felt like an outsider completely, yeah. you know? Uh, there's Yugoslavians around the corner, but they seem so different, you know, to even to us, you Did know. you have to explain to people what Lithuania was? I mean, it, All the time. Yeah. And, and I would hear, well, where is that? You know, and I didn't blame them, you know. Yeah. And my full name is Kazimaras Gediminas Propolanis. I'm sorry. Which I would, <laughs> some, when I was young, sometimes I think I would pass out before I got to the end of the last name. It just took so long. Well, um, there's a question there, because when did you truncate it? When did it become Kaz? And art school. Yeah. Was that I went to art expediency, school. or what was the decision? No, that was, it was, it was, I had a photography teacher said, you know, this is too long to put on a photograph. Yeah. Why don't you just sign a Kaz? I'm like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> of course I should do that. Well, you know? what did they call you growing up, though? Did anybody call you that? Or oh, my God. It? I Actually, I changed my name many, many times. Yeah. Yeah, because it was just way too long, and, I, and, and kids would want to fight me because of my name all the time. <laughs> Because it just sounded so stupid to that them. That sounds like an underworld cartoon. Yeah. Kids would want to fight you because of your name. So, like, in third grade, I got, uh, third grade, you know, the kids asked me, so what's your name? And I said, my name is Charlie. And, of course, they're still going, hey, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown. I'm like, okay, that wasn't the right one to do, you know? And then when we moved to Rahway, New Jersey, on my block, the kids asked me, hey, what's your name? And I'm thinking, okay, who's really, really respected by everybody? And I said, my name is Kennedy. You know, it's a what? JFK, yes. What? And then, and then it was shortened to Chuck, so people called me Chuck all through yeah. high school. And then I reverted back to my real name in art school. Are you, are you, I mean, is it possible I could be sitting here talking to Chuck right now? I mean, is it no, could I'm, I'm fully Kaz right now. All right. Uh, fully Kaz. By the way, get the book if you haven't bought it already. Kaz is going to sign it after this. Okay, so purchase one now while you still have time. Thirty nine uh, ninety nine. And um, let me let me flash forward a little bit because you know you so you're nineteen ninety two thereabouts. You who who did you create first? Was it Creep Rat? Was it Sam Snuff? Was I it think Simon I created James? both of these characters at the same time. Same time. Um, do you remember that moment of genesis? Do you? I kind of do. Um, I went to a party for the New York Press, and I think Mark Byer had been doing a comic strip, and uh, he dropped out because he had a nervous breakdown. Uh, and uh, so the art director asked me, how come you, because I've been doing illustration work for them, how come you never did a strip for us? And I said, well, I thought you guys had plenty of cartoonists. I really yeah. didn't want to take any, I was afraid that I would take somebody else's spot. You didn't want to impose? Well, I was afraid, yeah. yeah. No, I really was. I mm. really was. And then uh, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I went home, and I thought about it for a while, and I thought about the kind of comic strip I wanted to do. And I had been doing this humor strips for... Uh, the National Lampoon, which really, I was so happy to draw a comic strip for Lampoon. What happened was somebody else had purchased the Lampoon after it had died once already, and Drew Friedman was the art director at the time. And, uh, no, uh, no, he was just a comics editor. And yeah. so I went to school with him, and so he hired me. And so I was in this head of doing, like, these funny, kind of messed up, kind of funny little comics. And so I was already in, and so I'm thinking, well, let me do it as a four panel. The idea, I mean, initially the, the idea was that I was doing a parody of comics. Like, the only way I could really get into it, if I, if I had to sit down and think, I'm doing a real comic strip, I probably would have just 
not been able to do it. So I'm, I'm, I, I thought, I'm going to make fun of comics by doing this parody of a comic called Underworld. You were meta these, before it was cool? Well, yeah, because if you look, I mean, I, I, you know, this Popeye's arm, and this is a Mickey Mouse head, and then you got uh, the, the feet of um, uh, Ignat's mouse. And so for me, it just became this combination. And, making, you know, and then eventually it became a real comic strip after I've done it enough times. But in my mind, I really did think that. I would change it. If you read the book, you'll see it's not just about these guys. Sometimes there's a new character pops up. Sometimes there's this, like a, like a one-week joke. You know, Smoking Cat was just one joke that people kept saying, let's see some more. Yeah, and uh, had quite a life, too, Smoking Cat as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but w when you started doing, like, a weekly thing, were you surprised at what that took, the, the effort that took? Were you able to get into the discipline of doing it? Was it... No, it was great. Uh, I, did, I did maybe... Initially, I did maybe six or seven comics, and I, I brought them to the New York Press, dropped them off in the morning. They said, thank you very much. And then that afternoon, they called me and said, yeah, we want to start running it next week. You know, do you remember what they wanted to pay you to run? It's thirty-five dollars. Thirty-five dollars. I think it was initially twenty-five, and, and then they added ten bucks after a while. And how many hours would you work on it for thirty-five dollars? Well, in those days, I worked really hard on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it was a good like I would spend a whole day just penciling it, and then a whole day just inking it. So yeah, there was uh, you know, ten hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I really wanted to put a lot of things in the background. I was really, I was, you know, I, I really wanted to, to stand out. Were you getting response right away? Where people? Yes, it was great. It was yeah. terrific, uh, and it was wonderful to be able to walk outside. And there's the New York Press box, and there it is. You pick it up, and you go through the letters, and you're looking to see if anybody said anything, yeah. or they hated it, or whatever. So, how many alternative weeklies did you end up in at one point? I think I had 13 as my highest. So yeah. all across the country. It was really. It's, it was a lot tougher for me than a lot of other cartoonists because uh, the cartoonists that were doing uh, current events got a lot more papers because it seemed like a newsy thing to do. Yeah. And so I was doing something that you have to, you have to really be into it to, to like it. And I got a lot of you know, people initially, uh, I got letters from people saying, you know, when I first saw you strip, I thought it was just all about nihilism and really terrible. But then I kept reading and I saw there was other things going on. So it took a, a while for some people to click into it. Uh, that's interesting too because I now that you talk about it, your strip, uh, your strip has never really been overtly political. It's never been very topical. I mean, no. is that conscious? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to do a comic strip where, ten years later, twenty years later, thirty years later, you could still read it, and it's funny. I mean, that's how I feel about Peanuts. Yeah. You know, it's just like hermetic wor world, you know, and you could go visit it. And, what, and where did the name Underworld come from, by the way, speaking of It came from uh, uh, an old silent movie called Underworld. And now everybody's using Underworld. Does it ever like, make you enraged when you see all this well, Underworld a, stuff? Well, there's an electronica band from England called Underworld. Right. And then uh, there was a series of vampire werewolf movies called Underworld, you know. And I was like, ah. There was even yeah. some comic books called Underworld at one point. Yeah. So you had to call your lawyers? Or what I did not call my lawyer, but I did write a letter to the guy. and said, hey, I was here first. You know? um, uh, when did the relationship with Fantagraphics start, by the way? How long Pretty ago early that? on. I mean, uh, that happened before Underworld. Mm -hmm. you know, I, had, I, had, I had all these comics that I did in art class, big, beautiful, arty comics. And I remember uh, writing. Uh, Fantagraphics was pretty much just getting started. I think they were in Southern California at the time. And I remember uh, writing a letter to Gary Groth, uh, the publisher, and basically a very simple letter saying, like, um, do you like my work and would you like to publish me, right? And, and then I sent them some samples, and I got a, a letter back from him goes, I don't really care for your work, and yes, I want to publish you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, well, that was yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, and the relationship is still good, obviously. Did, whose idea was this? Did they say this to you? This is my idea, but, but, yeah. Yeah, but you I, thought I, it's time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to deal with uh, uh, one of the editors up there who passed away, mm. uh, Kim Thompson, who was really great. Uh, and I stopped publishing for a long time when I got into animation. Uh, the animation was taking a lot of my time. Yeah. I wanted to get into Although that. Although I too. kept doing the strip every week. You yeah. Know? I wanted to get into the animation. So it, let, let's get up to about the, the year 2000 or thereabouts. When was it that you get a phone call from the folks at SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> uh, the end of 2000, yeah. 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 And did you know anybody there previously, or were they just people who had seen your work and they responded to it? No, they were um, the the guy who created the show, Steve Hillenberg, was a, was a fan. He, like he would read my comic in the LA Weekly, and then there was another guy there who uh, his name is Derek Diamond, originally from New Jersey, and so they would have these discussions. And you know they saw they hired Sam Henderson at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to hire people outside of animation, cartoonists to do storyboards because they just wanted to see new angles, whatever, and. Uh, 
he had a, th these two guys had a discussion about me, and the one said, well, I don't know, he lives in New York City, I don't think he's going to come out here to do this, and the other guy said, he's an underground cartoonist, he's broke, he's coming out, you know, <laughs> and that's what happened, I was like, and I was a giant fan of the show, I was taping the show, I would play it for my friends, I said, you've got to see the show, the show's really hilarious. And uh, so Hollywood called, and I answered. I mean, literally, they, that, so when you first went out there, and I know you were couch surfing for a while, you were sort of staying with people, you were going back and forth. No, Hollywood. I didn't really couch surf. I stayed with the same person uh, uh, yeah. most of the time. Yeah. David, David I had a friend, Scow. David J. Scow, who was uh, he's a screenwriter and, and, and mostly horror movies. And like he wrote the, the first Crow movie. And so we had this beautiful house in Hollywood Hills. Linda Ronstadt used to live there in his house. So. Yeah. That well, he bought it cheap after that big earthquake. Uh, the people had... <laughs> Took off. It is on the side of a hill. Did you ever worry that it would? One no, day it was it's actually that's actually safer. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The hills absorbed the shock. What did you think of? Had you been to California prior to going out there? For yeah, this, one or? time I went to the yeah. San Diego Comic Con in San Francisco. And did you care about California at all? Were you because I I had for years thought screw California. I mean, you know, <laughs> East Coaster, typical sort of. I was. Uh, I, had a, I had. I had a secret desire. For, uh, Are you a for Los Angeles. secret Beach Boys fan? Or something? Uh, you, well, uh, I like the Beach Boys, yeah, yeah. fine. Uh, but no, it was the Beach Party movies when I was a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the TV shows came from there. And, like, the, uh, the MGM cartoons, like the Droopy cartoons, it said, Made in Hollywood on the bottom. And it just yeah. seemed so magical to me, you yeah. know? So uh, initially, were you thinking at some point, you know, I, you were at 109th and Broadway at the time in a, yeah. like, yeah. five-flight walk-up? Four. So, you know, four-flight walk-up? I mean, every, every time I went over like there, I'd, I'd sometimes get, I did five. Get to your sometimes I went up five, right. and I'm like, "Oh shit, I live one floor down." <laughs> I would get to Kaz's apartment, and it would take me like a minute just to catch my breath before. Uh, I could yeah, it was, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, this, but were you thinking, "Okay, this is it. I'm moving to no. Hollywood," or what happened? No, 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 yeah. no, no. My wife was like, "All right, you got this job now. We know how Hollywood is. You're not. It's not going to last. You know." And it, it didn't last. It, you know, uh, they shut down the show of SpongeBob in 2001 and to do the first SpongeBob movie because uh, the, the creator of the show didn't want to do a TV show and a movie at the same time. So I was out of work, you know. And I moved back, I, you know, came back to New York and I kept calling friends. And I was asked by a lot, like, there, you know, there are uh, companies here, Nickelodeon was out here, and they're always asking cartoonists to come up with ideas for, you know, a cartoon show. They don't know what, really what we were doing. I mean, I was taking classes, I was taking. Uh, script writing classes, screenwriting classes at, at NYU, all that stuff was immensely helpful. And I would really, if you want to do it, definitely take those classes. It, it just gets you in that particular head. And I was pitching ideas, pitching ideas, and then you know, the guy who had initially called me, uh, you know, we were just sh shooting the breeze, and I told him, I had, oh, I had this idea for this cartoon show about these funny animals, and they take over a summer camp. And my friend goes, put your pen down. This is uh, Joe Murray just sold a show called Camp Laszlo. I'm like, ah, oh, man. And he said, well, I'll see if I can get you on the show. So I just did a telephone interview, and I was back in Burbank wow. working on a cartoon show. And you have stumbled into everything. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I never, I never needed an agent to get me a gig. I've always did it through friends. Right. Yeah. Um, and is that what you won the Emmy for? Was it Camp Laszlo? Yes, eventually yes. I did win. I've seen Kathy's yes. Emmy, by the way. It's yeah. very pointy. Like, uh, if you trip with this thing, you're going to stab somebody. Well, you know, there's a big dent in it because... What happened? Well, I, I drank a lot that night because I was so happy. And I got out of the car, and I tripped, and bam, you know. And you could send the Emmy in to get it repaired, but I decided, no, that's part of the legacy of my Emmy, that I wow. banged it up. What was that night like for you, by the way, winning that thing, besides getting drunk afterwards? I mean, what Well, it was weird because I had already been nominated previous yeah. for another one uh, for the same show. Yeah. But, you know, we, you know, we didn't win the Emmy on that one. So, and The Simpsons won that night, and they had won, like, I don't know, 14 in a row. Yeah. And, like, and the guys like, who, who like, are walking around with the Emmys are like, I guess this is just another doorstop, you know? Yeah. And like, they're all sitting at the table, and, you know, and I know Mac Raining. And like, you know, for him, it's like you know, you know, water, drinking water, winning an award. You mm -hmm. know? And so I felt like, God, I really want to win. So when it finally did win, it was just like, I, you know, I was so shocked, you know? Uh, and also, there was Phineas and Ferb in there as well. Well, I was actually working on Phineas and Ferb when I won the Emmy for uh, for Camp Lazo. Yeah, because because I had moved on to another job. Um, and what was it like for you this transition to animation? To thinking about now you're going to be you were storyboarding, you were writing as well. It so was it, it was smooth. It was, it was pretty good. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm basically drawing it and writing a comic strip. You know, there's certain things you have to learn about staging that are, like in a comic strip you could switch where people are standing. 
if you follow the word balloons, you don't get lost. But if you do that in a cartoon, people will, they won't know. They'll get lost. Who's mm. talking now? Who's doing what? And then I had a, you know, I had really good people that were working uh, at Cartoon Network, and they were telling me that when people watch an animated cartoon, they're they're looking at the characters' eyes. They're following the characters' eyes. So you really like it. Really made sense of where people were looking. Whereas in a comic strip, you could just have two dots. Nancy didn't even have pupils, you know, but you know what she was doing. Yeah. That's true. She didn't have pupils, did she? Mm. Um, uh, they uh, and SpongeBob. The first my first gig on SpongeBob, they gave me the darkest story ever because they knew what I was doing. Is that one job. where the health inspector died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Krabs and, and SpongeBob believe they SpongeBob killed the health inspector. And Patrick think they, they did it, and yeah. And they go out to bury him. <laughs> yeah. But he's not dead, and he keeps, they keep knocking him out accidentally. It's occurred to me, too. I mean, I, I, I don't have any kids. You don't have any kids either. How, how do you, you know, stay in touch with the childlike side of all of this? And is it. Well, most of the question usually is to me how, how do you draw these things? Like, when you do an underworld, it, it's really dark, it has an adult sensibility. I actually how see do you, a lot in common between the two. Well, yeah, yeah. I think about how I was when I was a kid, and yeah. when I was a kid watching cartoons, and what I liked, and yeah. what I liked to see, you yeah. know? And I just, I just, and SpongeBob, such a, it's such a wonderful character, you could have all these, all these different kinds of emotions. So you could really do a lot with him, whereas like, on a show like Phineas and Ferb, uh, the characters al- almost seem like just ciphers for the plot machinations, you know? Yeah. But there is a difference, isn't there? Because, uh, you know, when you're doing Underworld, it's a solitary pursuit. You could draw it in your underwear drinking red wine, if you like. But can you do that at the Nickelodeon Not underwear. throw you out? Okay. Not underwear, but I was very shocked to see people coming to work in shorts and flip-flops oh, and, t- wow. and a T-shirt, you know? And it's California. Not, and it's not casual Friday? Yeah, yeah. I mean, people go, you're so dressed up. Wow. Why are you so dressed up? I'm like, well, I'm wearing clothes. That's why. Yeah. You know? uh, but I'm, I'm thinking about the difference between the solitary pursuit and the collaborative one. Because yeah. Hollywood's a very collaborative place. Yeah. So was, was I had to get used to that. problem there? I did yeah. have to get used to that. Um, uh, and I had, I had to learn a, a language of talking with a group of people. And uh, because I remember... Uh, they came to me with two stories, uh, outlines, and uh, unbeknownst to me, the one that I didn't like was written by the guy that was handing it to me. Ooh. And I said, I don't like this one. I don't think it's any good. I'll do this one. And I could just tell that his, his face was crushed. So I, and then somebody pushed, took me aside and said, uh, yeah, he, he wrote that. So <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. You know? And there's ways of talking where like, you would say like, just saying anything. What if SpongeBob loses his pants? You know, and you know. So that way, it's not like you're saying you want this specifically to happen. Yeah. And so that's how the collaborations are fun. You know. And yes, it's completely different than me all alone without any editors. And I found that lots of times I would draw a comic strip or I would write it first in my sketchbook. And if I'm snickering about the punchline or what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, uh, then I know that just a small group of people will get yeah. into it. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I'll write something, and I'm like, oh, God, this is, this is terrible, but I got a deadline. And, and then people go, oh, I love that one. So I don't even know how to judge my own work. Well, I was going to ask, are you uh, that assured of your capabilities at this point that you don't ever run anything past anybody? Or are there times when you go, hey, by the way, is this funny? For my comic strip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No, I, I that just never happened. You know, well, I don't have to even be funny. Yeah. You know, I could do something that's poignant. I could do something that's sad, as long as it feels to me like it's a little story that's telling a little tale. Well, one of my you know? favorite things is Look Away Popeye, you know, the, the uh, oh, yes. nuzzle who is, you know, and you had said that started with this idea of you were making these lists, and if you don't know the strip I'm referring to, nuzzle is the junkie uh, whose famous line is, one heroin, please. When he orders uh, heroin. But he's yeah. lying in bed and sort of going through these lists in his mind of just real non-sequitur type of stuff. So what was... Yeah, that came, out of, that came out of my sketchbook. So uh, I was living here in Jersey City. I lived on uh, Grand Street uh, in, uh, in an all-black neighborhood. And so and we were the only white people in this one particular building, and we're all artists or musicians or whatever. And, uh, and I was living with the artist uh, Alexander Ross, and we were very into, let's say, psychedelic explorations at the time. And um, one of those things would be we would, we would start playing with just language and words and juxtaposing words. And so we would make all these silly lists and we would just read them to each other and we'd like fall down giggling and it's very, very funny. So that came out of those particular lists. And so that was me, because he's in bed doing that, just thinking 
you know, yeah. rubber, bub, rub, bub, 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 you know, just playing with words and how they sound. But I was curious, is that, have we ever seen the back of Popeye's head before that? How did you know what it looked like? I mean, I... No, I, no, I, no I, yes, we did. Yes, okay, we have yeah. seen it back. All right. And it was part of a, um, a model sheet that I got it from. Yeah. It's just a whole different... Yeah. I, uh, I totally enjoyed it. Before we run out of time here, um, I wanted to ask a couple of more things. One is the list of acknowledgments in the book. Uh, you know, who... who who has got into the acknowledgments and why? And uh, <laughs> Well, I'd have to take a look because uh, I forgot okay, what I wrote. Okay, take a look here. Um, here you go. Um, I'm unfortunately. Just, I'm just wondering who you would credit with, uh, you know, seeing to it that you could accomplish this and get this done. All right, well, if I, I thanked uh, Art Spiegelman and his wife, Francoise, because they, they put out uh, Raw Magazine and, and they were, like, the first to really encourage me and publish my work. And uh, they were really, really behind all the... Uh, experimentation that I did. I did these weird strips and they published them and so that made me really, really happy. And then Kim Thompson and Gary Groff uh, 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 ran uh, Fantagraphics. Uh, Kim passed away, Gary's still alive. Eric Reynolds is now an editor there and he was very enthusiastic when I, when I came up with the idea like, hey, let's do a hardcover collection because he's been a fan for a long, long time. Uh, Michael Gentile was the art director at the New York Press. The reason why I got into he's the one who asked me to be in there. So yeah, and that's and he was he was a cartoonist himself. And he had very very good taste in comics. You know, some of the best people. Um, this Chris T guy, I have no idea how he got in there. <laughs> Matt Campbell's a pal of mine. Lives in New Zealand. Used to live here on the East Coast, and he's the guy. He produces my little animations. That if you go onto uh, my little funny, or or even on my website, you see some of the comics that are in here are played out as, as a little 30-minute uh, animation. And I do the voice of Creep Rat, and Chris does the voice of Snuff. Yeah. So we are the comedy team. It's kind of like the Mucinex guy. It's kind of like, hey, what are you doing, Creep Rat? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Should I keep going on? Do you no, really no, want to? I, know? Okay. I just want to get a taste. Of, you, you wanted know. me to get to you, I know, well, right? I, I, no, I actually wanted you to talk about Linda for a minute, because we had a conversation about your wife, Linda, the other day, and, and you know, just uh, her, her role in seeing to it that you can... You could do this. Yeah, you know, she fed me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was hanging on by a thread for, for many, many years. And my wife is the, uh, she's a book buyer for Shakespeare and Company, which is a store that almost went under many, many times. But uh, it's still alive and there's one on the uh, Upper East Side right now by Hunter College. And she buys all the books for it. And, uh, and it looks like, you know, there might be more coming up because there's a lot of talk about it. So it's very enthusiastic about it. Um, and uh, before we're done and we, we open this up for a Q&A, you had said to me a few years back, uh, I, I remember, you know, we were talking about California and New York. I said, would, would you ever come back here? And you said, hell no. I would never move back to New York. Is, are you still, I mean, are you, are you thinking California is where I'm, I'm making my living? It's where I'm going to stay. And so now, Kaz, by the way, lives one block below Hollywood Boulevard and a block above Sunset. And his nearest theater is the Chinese theater. So and right, right now his right neighborhood is in lockdown because of the Oscars. Right, so, true. He's in the heart of Hollywood. So you're, are you saying this is uh, where I will... No, I'm not saying that at all. Okay. But I'm saying if I'm going anywhere, it's going to be probably a new place. Yeah. You know, you know once uh, nobody wants to hire me, I'm too old uh, to work in animation. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm getting back into doing paintings, and I would like to paint a lot more, too. Mm-hmm. And that's another way to supplement my income or whatever. But, uh, you know, and my wife, because she works, you know, through the Internet buying books... You know, she lives in Los Angeles, but she buys for a New York bookstore. She could live anywhere, yeah. you know. Fiber I'm a little bit stuck because yeah. I have to be near the studios right now. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you for sitting down and doing this today, by the way. I want to thank, thank you. you for the book. Uh, I also want to, before I forget, uh, Bridie McDonald, is that her name? Who Bridie McDonald uh, designed the book. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. Any idea that I had, she was amazing. She, she made it come alive. And, and then also she... She did something in this book that I think I've never, I've never seen in any other comic book. She did this amazing innovation where, um, and she, was, she designed my website, and it's a really nice website. Uh, and she's always trying, and whenever like, I post a, a, car, a comic on there, she always says, write something about it. The people would like to know where the idea came from, or like, you know, you know, what were you thinking when you did it? And so she said, hey, why don't we do that in the book too? So every few pages, underneath one of the strips, and it's printed in you know very light gray, so it, it doesn't clash with the yeah. design. Is a little something that I'm writing about that particular comic strip, 
Never seen that in a book, and that was her innovation, and I love it. I love it too, and one of the things I've enjoyed about watching you move on to the internet is that you do take people into it, and you do show them what's going on, and you'll put up things from sketchbooks as well, and yep. I think we all appreciate that, so oh, thanks for thank doing you. that. Thank you, Chris. Um, I want to also thank Caitlin and uh, Word Jersey City for letting us do this today, and uh, I'm going to turn this microphone around, or anybody who wants to step up and ask a question, you can do so now. Let's get some Q&A going on. Over here, anybody? Step up if you want to say something. I'd like to know, Kaz, do you have anything in the works for releasing your animated Underworlds onto a DVD format? Uh, I do not have anything in the works. Uh, one thing that we're talking about is perhaps uh, my producer, Matt Campbell, and I are doing a, 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 like a, like a 10-minute version, and then uh, th that will probably be enough material that I don't know, we would charge, I don't know, $25 for it? I have no idea. Yeah. That's a good question. Anybody else? Yes. Hey. Hello. Um, big fan. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about how back in the 90s, it seems when the comic scene was a lot different, there was this, there was a lot of comics I could look to that I really look forward to, that they would be really funny, but it was also the artists were taking it as an art form. I mean, you had you and Peter Bag and Daniel Close and all these people, and right. we get a laugh out of it, but there was also this really rich, they were taking it seriously, and they were trying in their own ways to advance the art form and right. such. And it seems kind of like that's missing now in the comics. What do you see is happening now? Because well, I'm seeing a lot funny. of like long, depressing stories. It's that, and they're just like super psychedelic, and they're, they're I still enjoy it, but uh -huh. that type of like, Zing zang zing kind of yeah. thing seems yeah. to be really. Um, uh, I feel like there's you and Kupperman, and then there's probably <laughs> some others, but it's like it's it's like the field is. It, people aren't don't seem to really. Well, be you know, I mean, it. it's a different generation, right? And uh, they're the internet a, clearly is probably the internet exactly. Uh, but there's a lot of funny people out there, you know, uh, doing great work, you know, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, Julia Wertz, uh, who uh, wrote a little thing back here. I love her work. Her stuff's really really funny. Um, Do you think there's just a lot of competition now with, with, with such a massive amount of, of like a, content out there? There's a lot like of stuff. I've, you know, I've gone to some of these uh, you know, small press conventions, and it's, it's, all, it's a lot of stuff I've never seen before, and stuff that just blows me away sometimes, the amount of work somebody does for a comic book that they're asking $5 for, that they worked on for like three, four, five years sometimes you know, to make it happen. Uh, it really, it's, it, they're not going to make their money back, but they're dedicated artists. And uh, I just think it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's a little different now. I think the 90s was maybe kind of an anomaly or something. It was a perfect storm. Could be. Allowed this to... Could be. I mean, comedy changes, right? So comics change and movies change and, yeah. I didn't change. No. <laughs> Anybody else want to? Uh-oh. If you, yeah, if you could come on down, that'd be great. This is Ann Bernstein, who Hi, was uh, editor at Nickelodeon when I did comics for children. Children, for little children. Yeah. Um, I just was wondering what the influence was of the, this weird storm of, uh, sort of similar to the last question, SVA at a certain time, and New York at a certain time had an amazing bunch of cartoonists. I don't know how it happened. They were all in the same place at the same time. Right. But the community, could you talk about the community of cartoonists and how that... Yeah, happened? I mean, uh, well, you know, I took... Uh, you know, it was Art Spiegelman, and Art Spiegelman was a real, I mean, he came out of underground comics uh, from San Francisco, uh, and so with him, it was always like, you know, let's, let's have a community of cartoonists that are all working hard together, and, you know, we did. We, we put out books like uh, Bad News and, and, and Snake Eyes and the whole thing. We, we really, I mean, we were hoping it would really take off, but the anthology books, I think, on the market, they just did okay, but... It really helped to have other people to talk to at the time. And we would see what the other guy's doing, and then we would see how they're influencing us, and I'm influencing somebody else's work. And uh, I thought it was, it was, it seemed like really juicy. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen now, it's happening all over the country now, you know. But at that particular time, I think it came out of a School of Visual Arts. And it's because, you know, Harvey Kurtzman was a teacher there, he created Mad Magazine. And uh, who else was there? It was Will Eisner, uh, who I never took his class because all 
the cartoonists that came out of his class all looked like the spirit, and they had like all shadows everywhere. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't want my comics to look like that. You know? But Spiegelman was great. He encouraged everybody to go out and get published. He said, you're not going to learn how to be a cartoonist, how to make your work better, until you're embarrassed how you see it in print. You know, how bad it looks initially. You're going, oh my God, I should have done this, I should have done that, you know. But you have to see it in print. And actually, just the, just the pugnaciousness of going out and going up to an editor and saying, I would like to be published in your publication, you know. No, you know. Okay, next, you know. <laughs> uh, anybody else got a question? Somebody out there want to step forward and... Ask another question. I have another question. I think I covered it all. Because you reminded me about Mad Magazine, and I haven't really heard you talk about Mad and what it meant to you uh, when you might have discovered if it meant anything to you. Yeah, well, what it meant meant to me is what it meant to everybody that was reading Mad Magazine when they were a kid. Basically, Mad was telling you uh, uh, Madison Avenue and advertising is lying to you. They're telling you all politicians are crooks and they're all lying to you. And so you learn that as a kid in grammar school, right? And you're like, so you don't trust anybody. And then, you know, and then whatever your life and your, you know, humor, whatever that comes, it comes out of that sort of satire, you know? And pointing out the ridiculousness of everything. I mean, Harvey Kurtzman would make fun of, he would, like, he would do the thing where he'd point out, look, look, I'm a rodent. And I only have four fingers but a white glove over it. What's that all about? You know, yeah. so it was always pointing out how ridiculous society was. And I, I mean, yeah, it made me a critical thinker as a, as a young kid. All right. Anybody else? Because Kaz is going to start signing books in just a moment. Anybody else want to ask a question before we wrap up here? Please shout out your question or step forward and ask it. Anybody? All right. I got, I got one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Is there ever going to be a, another Kaz FMU shirt? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Words, let's can we wheedle some more free work out of you? <laughs> I'm going to say yes. I want to do one. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Um, by the way, Kaz designed my very first lighter. I've been doing like you know flip-top lighters for a few years, and he did the first one. And that reminds me, we have a table of FMU swag back there, so grab some swag before you go. And, uh, and with that, let's get some books signed over here. Okay, Thank you, everybody. Again, everybody. Thank you, pal. Thank you. That went well. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.